welcome to Dialogue. During the post-pandemic period, the Chinese economy has been recovering at a steady pace, and the country has committed to only opening wider. So, what can the world expect from China's economic recovery, and how likely will the dominance of the U.S. dollar be affected by the ongoing Ukraine crisis? To discuss these issues and more, I'm pleased to talk with Michael Hudson, professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. That's our topic. I'm Xu Qingduo. Welcome to the discussion, Professor. A year ago, also at the Boer Forum, Chinese President Xi Jinping proposed this global security initiative. And one year uh, has been, uh, you know, there, and we see that the Ukraine crisis continues. And of course,、uh, the future of the world is increasingly uncertain. And also tensions、uh, grows between China and the United States.、Uh, so I wonder, what's your thoughts on this、uh, idea, on this proposal? The、uh, I think the United States is going to go its own way. Uh, I, uh, China's proposal is uh, uh, a reasonable proposal. It's, it's how the world could evolve、uh, in mutual gain, where、uh, countries will gain from each other. Uh, but that's not the kind of the world that the United States wants, and so the, there's going to be a clash. And the question is, how is this clash、uh, going to work out?、Uh, even if you don't agree with、uh, the diagnosis of uh, uh, how the Americans are viewing the world, you need to know how they're thinking about it, because、uh, it's, I, I, I believe, and many Americans believe, that American policies are leading the whole world into. Uh, something uh, very needless,、uh, breaking it apart, separating it uh, into uh, two halves. The United States is driving、uh, all the other countries together. It seems、uh, in a defensive uh, mode, and uh, uh, what is happening in the United States、uh, seems to be a completely different road from that which other countries are going along. If you look at how、uh, the mistakes that the Russians made、uh, from the 1990s on. Their mistake was that they believed other countries would act in their own self-interest、uh, and act reasonably, and that didn't happen. Uh, the, uh, Europe and the United States could have ended the Cold War、uh, in 1990, but instead they escalated it,、uh, and Europe could have uh, uh, reoriented itself towards the part of the world that's growing: China, Russia,、uh, Iran, the Near East,、uh, and instead it's.、Uh, It's turned to the United States, even though the United States has pretty much destroyed German industry by、uh, cutting the pipelines,、uh, for instance. So,、uh, coming out with a good idea does not mean that other countries are going to follow their self-interest.、Mm-hmm. Well,、uh, speak of that.、Uh, you mentioned that Iran, Saudi Arabia, the Middle East,、uh, you know, and、uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, basically a brokership. You can see、uh, Iran and、uh, Saudi Arabia achieved a rapprochement. And agreeing to re-establish their diplomatic relationship,、uh, you know, many people say that's a victory,、uh, or you can say that's a, a, you know, basically putting the concept of the global security initiative into practice by the Chinese side. Well, it, it, it's、uh, amazing what's occurred. The split within Islam between the Shiites and the Sunni 
uh, was so large that it had led to uh, a, a bloody war between Iran and Iraq uh, before that uh, was encouraged by the United States. And uh, the, there's, the reason there, that China was able to negotiate a rapprochement was that the United States has uh, sort of declared war on uh, on all the other countries. It's declared war on the Near East by grabbing uh, the oil. It declared war uh, on, on Iran for many years for not uh, selling its oil to uh, uh, to the West and not letting the West take over its oil way back in 1954. Uh, so uh, China is coming in and telling people there is an alternative. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be a unipolar world where the United States uh, is able to get all of your economic surplus and uh, transfer it to itself. Uh, we can all get rich by keeping our wealth uh, um, uh, with each other and uh, not fighting each other. So uh, that's basically the uh, alternative that the world has. Mm-hmm. Well, picking up on what you have said about the U.S., you know, uh, global attention has been on the recent development or the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and also the Signature Bank in the U.S. So what does this tell us about the problems in the U.S. banking sector, for example? Uh, the problem, both for the United States and Europe, stems from 2009, when uh, President Obama uh, decided to bail out the banks. Uh, the, uh, in the United States, there were so many fraudulent loans for, for mortgages, uh, bad loans, uh, uh, that, uh, could not be paid. And instead of letting, uh, the banks go under, who, that were criminal, uh, the, the, uh, Sheila Bear, who ran the, uh, Deposit Insurance Corporation, wanted Citibank, uh, First National Citibank, uh, uh, really to be taken over. Because she said, these banks, the biggest banks in America, have behaved crookedly. They've uh, written false mortgages. And there's a word for that, junk mortgages. Uh, They've made, uh, they've uh, falsified uh, income statements by the borrowers. They've falsified the value of the property. We can't bail them out. We've got to uh, uh, take them over. But uh, President Obama said, my main campaign contributors are the banks. And I'm going to save the banks and uh, uh, the uh, the Federal Reserve and Obama have spent nine trillion dollars since 2009 in quantitative easing. That is, the the Federal Reserve has flooded the banking system with money to buy real estate, to buy stocks, to buy bonds, and uh, from 2009 to today, we've had the biggest bond market boom. In history, interest rates went down from 6% to almost uh, 0.1%. So there's been a huge increase in wealth uh, in stocks, bonds, and real estate owned by the wealthiest 1% in the United States and by the banks. Well, finally, uh, 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 the question is, how could the United States ever begin to raise rates again? You've held rates at almost zero for years. Well, finally, uh, the Federal Reserve said, uh, we're worried that now that COVID is over, uh, workers are uh, making more money. And the job of the Federal Reserve is to uh, keep uh, the economy from growing, to keep it in recession, to keep down wage levels. So the head of the Federal Reserve uh, a few months ago said, we need two million Americans to be unemployed so that people will be so desperate for work 
that they will lower their wages uh, because uh, wages are creating the inflation. And we have to lower wages so that companies can earn more money to support their uh, the price of their stocks and their bonds. Uh, and so they begin to raise interest rates, basically just to fight labor. But what they didn't realize that when you raise interest rates, the price of bonds goes down. When you uh, higher interest rates uh, mean that uh, uh, it's, uh, there's less credit uh, to buy bonds or real estate and housing. So bond prices have gone down. Real estate prices have gone down. And uh, uh, this means that uh, the bank reserves that are held in bonds and mortgages and long-term loans, uh, the bank reserves were going way down. And uh, they couldn't cover the deposit. So there's uh, a fictitious capital. Uh, in the United States, there are uh, people owe money, uh, banks owe money, uh, without having any idea of whether they can pay or not. Uh, and the Federal Reserve uh, said, uh, wonders whether it's going to have to create another $9 trillion. Uh, the, re- fe- the Federal Reserve wants to inflate asset prices, but not wages and not consumer prices. And uh, it's very difficult uh, uh, to help the uh, 1% of the population uh, uh, while hurting the uh, 99%. It seems uh, there's a tough situation. Uh, Well, uh, related to that, you once said, you know, represented by the monetary policy of the Federal Reserve, America makes use of dollar hegemony to create instability in the financial market and bring other countries into economic difficulties, you know, from which the U.S. benefits. Uh, can you tell us more about that, the impact of U.S. monetary policy, especially on those, uh, you know, vulnerable countries from the, say, uh, global south? Well, the global south countries uh, owe a very large dollar debt. That means they have to make exports and produce things in their own currency uh, to buy the dollars to pay uh, the debts that they're uh, uh, that uh, they, they've taken out at very low interest rates. Well, uh, when the United States raises interest rates, that means that uh, Europe and other countries uh, are putting, uh, trying to take advantage of the new high interest rates, 4%, 5% for Treasury bills, and there's a movement into the dollar. The dollar is going up in value against the global South currencies. That means that uh, uh, South America, Africa, and Asian countries have to uh, export much more uh, in order to pay uh, their rising debts. The uh, rise in interest rates increases the debt burden for the global south. And this is happening at the very moment where the United States has imposed sanctions on Russian oil, Russia gas, and Russian uh, uh, grain and food so that uh, energy prices are going up for the global south. Food prices are going up for the global south. And uh, because of the uh, uh, manipulated markets for American technology, uh, the uh, American prices are going up and the dollar is going up. So the, how are these countries going to pay? The situation today is very much like it was in, after 1982, when Mexico could not pay its uh, uh, medium-term foreign debt. And all of a sudden, uh, throughout Latin America, there were uh, defaults. And uh, it's obvious today that uh, countries in the global south have to choose. Are we going to pay uh, the foreign debts, the creditors, or are we going to uh, have uh, import uh, energy and food to feed our people and keep our economy going? 
that's the choice. Uh, and the uh, International Monetary Fund that the United States runs tells them, uh, you're just going to have to starve, you'll have to impose austerity, you'll have to uh, uh, import less oil and gas, less food, in order to pay the debts. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how can other countries, how politicians, remain in office if they're acting uh, to pay the United States instead of helping their own countries grow? This is the problem the Global South is facing today. Well, that problem obviously has a lot to do with, uh, you know, the status quo of relying on the U.S. dollar or the domination of the U.S. dollar in the global financial system. And, uh, you know, if you take into consideration of how U.S. reacts to Russia, for example, uh, sanctions including uh, taking over the foreign reserves basically by the Russians and also that by the Venezuelans and, and even the Afghan uh, you know, foreign reserve uh, that's taken over by the U.S. So that serves as a warning message to a lot of countries, you know. Uh, if you are smart, you want to distance yourself from the dollar at least a bit in order to probably, and then better choice, to diversify your foreign reserve to uh, safeguard your assets. Well, this is uh, what's so ironic. Uh, as you've just said, uh, the United States has got a free lunch uh, from uh, issuing dollars ever since uh, it went off gold in 1971. Uh, the, the United States can simply print dollars. Uh, most of these dollars uh, end up in foreign hands because of American military spending. So basically, when other central banks, China, Russia, all other countries, hold dollars in their Federal Reserve, they're uh, lending back to the United States the money that the United States has, uh, uh, has spent abroad in surrounding them with military bases. Well, you'd think that America would want to keep this free lunch, uh, this dollar dominance going forever. And yet it's doing just the opposite. As you've just pointed out, uh, the United States foreign policy is driving Russia and other currencies away from the dollar because it's not safe. Uh, President Biden has said that China is America's number one enemy. Uh, and our, uh, one of our generals has said, in two years, we're going to go to war with China. Well, obviously, uh, I'm sure that the uh, Chinese government is worrying, well, is America going to do to us what it did to Russia? Is it going to just grab all of our foreign uh, reserves and dollars? Is it going to just uh, grab all of our property uh, that's ab abroad? So other countries are all trying to, uh, uh, get, uh, they're afraid to hold dollars because America says uh, uh, we can cancel dollars uh, at will and uh, we're at war with the world. And if they're at war with the world, then uh, you, you don't want to uh, uh, hold the currency of uh, a country that's uh, at, at war with you. So uh, the world is uh, splitting apart. Uh, the United States wants to grab TikTok. Uh, the United States has told China, if you have a uh, a, a profitable uh, innovation, if you have a new technology, uh, we want you have to sell it to our to us. We have to make the money from TikTok. We have to make the money from your technology uh, because uh, that's how we want the world to work. Well, obviously, uh, this is uh, economic warfare with the other uh, with the rest of the world, and uh, uh, the dollars are part of the military warfare with the rest of the world. So, yes, the United States is driving other countries away from the dollar. Uh, and uh, some people say this is like shooting yourself in your own foot. To the Ukraine crisis, you know, you once said uh, uh, that in reading the newspapers, one gets the feeling this war is about Ukraine and NATO fighting Russia. 
uh, when actually America is using the conflict between NATO and Russia as a means to control its allies and the West as a whole. Uh, tell us more on that point. Well, President Biden and uh, Secretary of State Blinken have said again and again that the war in Ukraine is only the first conflict that, uh, in a broader war that is going to last 20 or 30 years. Well, obviously, the United States is not going to fight 20 or 30 years. Only in Ukraine, it's going to go beyond Ukraine. Uh, it's going to extend uh, throughout uh, Asia. Uh, to, uh, the United States policy is to surround Russia, to surround China, and ultimately try to have what is called a color revolution uh, to break up uh, Russia into five different countries uh, and to break China up into five different countries. So it's trying to take uh, uh, the Uyghur section in the uh, West to break that separately. These are the plans that the military have drawn up and they're, they're published and everybody knows it. So uh, uh, obviously uh, uh, the, uh, what seems to be just a military war is actually a war over how the whole world economy is going to be structured uh, over the next uh, ten, uh, 10 or 20 years. Is it going to be structured uh, under U.S. control and are other countries going to be run for the benefit of the United States economy, or will they be uh, uh, run to uh, help each other grow by mutual trade and investment with each other, by becoming uh, independent of uh, reliance on the United States for their food, for their technology, for their computer chips? Uh, uh, how are they going to get uh, independent? And you could say that what we're seeing in the next 20 years uh, as a result of uh, uh, the U.S. extending the Ukrainian war is uh, the whole rest of the world's revolutionary war for independence. Uh, and uh, this may take a military form uh, or it may just simply take uh, an economic form. Uh, the Americans have been able to uh, reduce Europe to a colonial status. So the first uh, conquest in the Ukraine, the fighting in Ukraine, has been uh, Germany. And Europe, uh, America uh, has destroyed uh, German industry by blowing up uh, the oil, the gas pipelines uh, in Nord Stream. And that means that uh, German steel industry uh, cannot be competitive. Uh, fertilizer industry cannot be competitive. Italian glass industry cannot be competitive. And the United States has said, has told Germany, well, why don't you move your industry away from Europe? Move it to the United States where you can buy gas and oil at uh, much cheaper prices now that we don't let you buy Russian gas and oil anymore. So uh, this is uh, the first uh, real crisis, uh, and it's a social and revolutionary crisis is, uh, of the Ukraine war is actually in continental Europe itself, in Western Europe. Uh, uh, but obviously the United States wants to spread it as much as it can uh, eastward towards uh, Russia and China, and uh, the question is, uh, will other countries uh, be able to create their own trading system, their own alternative to the International Monetary Fund, their own alternative to the World Bank? Will they be able to uh, essentially uh, say, uh, we have a different idea of how the world is going to develop? And that was the idea that you uh, posed in your very first question of uh, uh, what exactly is the uh, China initiative in the world today? 
Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, uh, U.S. officials ha have made it public that, you know, the goal in Ukraine is to weaken Russia. As you said, we see uh, the European countries are also weakened in a similar manner. You know, they imported uh, costly uh, oil and gas from the U.S. Their industries are moving to the U.S., you know, lured by the U.S. Policy, uh, protectionist policy as well as the cheap oil and gas there. Uh, so what's the best way out for European countries? Uh, there's no real easy way out for them. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the problem is that the European political leaders uh, are pro-American, but the population is demonstrating in the streets against uh, the United States takeover. Uh, the United States has meddled in European politics and has uh, simply uh, given uh, millions of dollars to European leaders. It, quite frankly, it, it bribes foreign leaders uh, and keeps them uh, loyal to the United States. Uh, and uh, there really is, in Germany, there isn't any alternative party uh, to uh, uh, for peace. Uh, there's no alternative party to say, wait a minute, if we, uh, uh, if we would invest and move our industry uh, with Russia and China, uh, they are the growing parts of the world. Here's the choice uh, for the Europeans. The United States and Canada are a shrinking economy. Uh, they're getting poorer and poorer for, ever since 2009. The rest of the world, China, Russia, the Near East, uh, the Global South, they're growing. So uh, who do you think Europe's future lies with? Uh, would it lie with the growing part of the world or with the shrinking part? Well, so far, its politicians want the shrinking part. The people want uh, the growing part. Uh, and uh, uh, so, so Russia has said, well, we're not going to let uh, 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 Europe has said we won't let Russian TV uh, be broadcast in America anymore. Uh, we're going to control the newspapers and the magazines so that people are told that uh, Russia and China are the enemy. And we have to uh, fight Russia first, because uh, if we fight Russia first, then uh, we can go in and break it up and we can attack China from from Russia. Uh, Biden keeps saying the real enemy is China, not Russia, but we have to uh, uh, defeat Russia uh, so that it can't uh, help China. We want to isolate China and uh, make it uh, uh, isolate it and make it uh, go by itself. But China's doing just the opposite policy. It's strong enough to resist and it's self-sufficient in food and its own products. And it's reaching out with the Belt and Road Initiative and other initiatives to integrate with other countries. Uh, and so uh, the United States uh, is going to be left uh, with the only country that it can control will be Europe, not Asia and not the global south. Mm -hmm. Well, speak of China, you know, China has set this year's GDP growth target at around 5%, uh, giving priority to restoring and expanding domestic consumption, uh, according to a report on government work at the annual two sessions in Beijing uh, not long ago. Are you optimistic about the Chinese economy uh, during this uh, post-pandemic period? Yes, I am, uh, because it, it's not simply that China's GDP is growing. It's that the kind of GDP that it's producing is uh, to raise living standards. Most American increase in GDP is money made by the financial sector, money made by the banking sector uh, in interest charges and financial charges, uh, but China has um, uses money as a public utility. Uh, the government controls the money supply, uh, and uh, it doesn't spend the uh, money that it creates 
primarily on uh, arms uh, and, and uh, military. It uh, spends the money on actual civilian growth. So uh, it, the question is, uh, it certainly needs to rebuild uh, its economy from COVID. Uh, its, uh, its idea of rebuilding the economy is not to create billionaires in the financial sector, but to create prosperity for all of the people. Prosperity, uh, you know, one of the Chinese goal or common prosperity, uh, you know, one of the features of the Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese style modernization. Well, China is moving and uh, marching towards uh, modernization. Uh, the country strives to realize its second centennial goal. Uh, so what's your take on the Chinese modernization or the modernization with the Chinese characteristics? Well, it's very different from the United States because the United States, uh, since the 1980s, uh, has done what England did. Uh, it's privatized uh, public infrastructure into monopolies that extract monopoly rent. Uh, especially, uh, this is the case in uh, me uh, pharmaceuticals and healthcare. 18% of America's uh, GDP is for uh, healthcare, uh, much higher than any other country. Uh, because of the monopoly prices that uh, uh, drug companies are allowed to charge. The United States spends, and the government spends enormous amounts of money developing new drugs, but then it gives it to its campaign contributors and lets them charge monopoly prices. Same thing in, in uh, transportation. Uh, the United States transportation network is pretty much falling apart uh, here in New York. Uh, every single day, uh, they're falling apart problems. But uh, China treats uh, its roads, its, trans its uh, railroads, its uh, airlines as public utilities, and it's not trying to uh, create monopoly prices for the owners of roads and banks of utilities. It's trying to lower the cost of living so that uh, Chinese uh, uh, people can uh, uh, don't need to have high enough wages to pay for a, a, a monopolized health care monopolized transportation, monopolized uh, electricity. The, the price structure and the cost structure uh, of China is much lower than the United States, and that's what makes it so much more competitive than the United States and more competitive than other countries. Well, on that note, we conclude today's show. Many thanks to Professor Hudson. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. I'm Xu Qinduo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.